This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Well, good afternoon. Here we go. Hour two, a great day for talk radio. You know, the idea that there are some who believe that this would lead to more irresponsible behavior because you expand the network of distribution. On the other hand, you've got the government suggesting that this is really getting the nanny state out of the equation, treating uh, responsible adults like adults and uh, allowing them for the sake of convenience, access points far and wide across the province rather than having to go to the local LCBO, so on and so forth. So I'll pick up on that again shortly. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's my way of recycling uh, a topic that we didn't give full due to. And uh, since we're talking about recycling, as I just mentioned, I wanted to drill down on this in the sense that we've talked about it in the past too, where recycling has become uh, somewhat contentious. I guess we all faithfully think we're sorting our garbage according to uh, what belongs in the blue box, what doesn't, you know, food scraps and so on and so forth. Uh, Mindful even to the point of not contaminating certain containers. Well, uh, it seems that there's a a three-part series, investigative series. Carolyn Jarvis, investigative reporter with Global News, uh, is helming this, investigating the state of Canada's recycling industry. It's a month-long investigation and involves dozens of communities, companies, and industry leaders across the country about the mounting challenges faced by Canada's recycling industry. They say the result is dire. With few exceptions, more recyclings being sent to landfill, fewer items are being accepted in the blue bin, and the financial toll of running these programs has become a burden for some municipalities to the extent they're scrapping them all together. So is it really like shoveling sand against the tide? Let's find out what the deal is. Dale Schmidt has joined us on the line. He's the manager of Loras Recycle in Saskatchewan. Dale, good to have you on the Oakley Show in Toronto. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, uh, the picture that's painted by our investigative reporters at Global News is suggesting that the situation with recycling is dire. How do you see it? Um, I I agree. Um, Over the last couple of years, we've really seen a decline in the amount of material that is able to flow through the recycling system, uh, especially post-China ban. Um, I mean, this isn't only a Canadian issue. This is a worldwide uh, issue. Um, for years, we've had, um, you know, the mentality here in North America that, you know, we want convenience and we want things to be simple. And, and with that, of course, there's consequences. And that, that stems to the fact of um, single-use materials, uh, things that we just throw away. You know, we always thought it made us feel better at night that it was getting recycled, but um, really in actuality it never really did you know you just said the ban by china uh let's dial into that for one because china was seen i guess historically or for the last number of years when everybody got the recycling bug uh that it was a convenient dumping ground so you're saying no longer no longer so what had happened china had this big need for raw materials um so they were taking a lot of the recycling They've always taken a certain type of plastic, you know, the, the more popular ones, the number the number two, number one, um, number five. But in North America, we always just shipped all the plastics to them. Um, they would then sort them out, take the valuable stuff that they needed. Then they would use the rest and either burn it, um, leave it in fields, it piles up. Uh, basically turned a lot of the countryside into wastelands. Uh, so they basically decided, you know, we're not going to do this anymore. Uh, we're going to cut everybody off, and we're going to try to clean up our system. So um, by doing that, 
um, it's forcing us to clean up our own system. We've always just relied on them. They'll take it, they'll take it, they'll take it. Uh, they finally said, no, we're not going to take it anymore, which leaves us now having to struggle, and it's not as convenient for us as it used to be. So, Dale, just by way of example, because I'm not familiar, uh, plastics graded one, two, five, what would those be typically? Well, so uh, number one is your PET, which is more like your pop bottles. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two would be your high-density polyethylene, which is like um, uh, a laundry detergent um, jug, something like that, your milk jugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then your number five is usually your yogurt tubs, polypropylene. I see. So heavier gauge, I guess, is what it is. It's a higher quality material. A lot of those other brands, um, number three, PVC, you know, it's got its market, but it's more, um, it's got a different, it's a different type of plastic. And when you look at the virgin materials and the cost, it's a lot easier to make them new than it is to recycle them. Well, see, my impression, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, I guess a lot of people also saw recycling plants as profit centers. Are they still? No. Well, what what was going on, <clears throat> recycling has never been as cheap as people think it is. So in order to get a more vast group of people participating in the program, making it easier for those people. A lot of MRFs relied on the aftermarket to subsidize everybody's recycling at home. I'll just, I'll just throw this out there. If, if um, say, your community pays five bucks a month for your bin, mm-hmm. in actuality, the cost to move that is probably at least 10 to 12. So, and this is just by, this is just throwing numbers out there. It's not specifics. So we would always subsidize the rest of that with the aftermarket, you know, what we sold the material for. However, you can't sell a lot of material for profit anymore. So therefore, um, your cost of process is you're losing money because the material up front, the cost at the bin isn't covering it. So how does this impact communities then? Uh, it sounds to me like they're operating at a loss on this play. Most places are. Um, if they're not, I'd be surprised, and I would love to talk to them. Um, but it's uh, it's something that can't go on for a long period of time. There's going to be there is places that have cut their programs altogether simply because they look at it as a long term. It's probably cheaper to be put in a landfill, or it's it's cheaper up front anyway. Uh, once you have to manage in the long term, it might become more expensive. But as we know, budgets only see the short term. Right. This is what's going to save us money now, so we're going to do this now. So in other words, a lot of places where they wholeheartedly jumped into the blue box recycling game uh, might have to reconsider and discontinue these projects. They might. Um, hopefully they don't. Hopefully people just reevaluate their purchases and, and kind of go that route. But there are some materials in there that, you know, a lot of municipalities mandated that your recycler had to take. Um, you need to take this material, even though at the time there wasn't a big demand for it. But in order to win that contract, you had to take it and you had to try to find something to do with it. And for most of the time, um, you've always paid something for those materials to get rid of them, if you could find somebody to take them. Um, And I'm only speaking from landlocked Saskatchewan. Um, When you get out to different provinces, there are different places you could send stuff. And of course, they're closer to ports, so the cost goes down for you there. Well, except that we're learning sometimes, uh, you know, the Chinese have shut us out now on most of the stuff. Uh, We see in the Philippines, I don't know if it was trash or recyclables, but Duterte, uh, the leader in the Philippines, was saying, 
he's going to truck all this stuff back to Canada because it's been sitting there, I guess, in dry dock for a couple of years anyway. Uh, they don't want it either. Yeah. Um, I, to me, I would be, if I was the government, I would try to find who actually shipped those, and I would go back to them on that. I mean, there's been a lot of places that over the years, and this is why China shut down too, there was actually you know, a black market for recyclables, and they would ship it in there, and it would be waste, it would be whatever. Um, a lot of people got away with certain amounts of contamination. I mean, when I first started the industry, it went, oh, yeah, anything 5% China will take. And then it was anything 7% China will take. And then it was anything 12% contamination China will take. Um, that's not what we've tried to do, but that's what a lot of people did. And then I even had people um, that were caught sending stuff to China, and they were 25% contamination. Like, they're basically just throwing their garbage at them, hoping it, they'll take it. Again, with Dale Schmidt, manager of Loras Recycle in Saskatchewan, we're talking about the recycling industry. It's an expose, a three-parter that Global News has put together. Carolyn Jarvis spearheading this. Uh, you talked about efficiencies, uh, you know, now up to 25% contamination. <laughs> I guess that uh, is something that a lot of people when they're putting things in the blue bin, uh, aren't really aware of or don't care. Maybe they're careless. Uh, if there's even a trace of foodstuffs in some of the plastic containers, for example, that's considered contaminated, isn't it? It is. It is. And with the new restrictions, it's 0.5% is all you're allowed um, in order to ship your material. So if you have, say you got a whole block of people and they're all avid, good recyclers, you have two people on that block that really don't care or possibly misinformed, they will ruin that whole street's recycling just because of what they have done. Well, all right, this is plastics now. You've got other things like paper, cardboard, uh, so on and so forth. I was under the impression that this stuff was highly desired for recycling because newsprint, mind you, not as many people reading papers anymore, but uh, just anything made from paper might have an afterlife. Am I wrong about that? Well, it does, but it all comes to supply and demand. Um, now that China isn't taking that, or a lot of these mills aren't able to make that spec for quality material, what is happening is anything domestic is being overrun, and they have so much material to choose from. Uh, they can be very picky. Usually they take it from locals, um, whoever's closest to them, or whoever's offering that primo prime product. So it is highly valued. However, you need a market for it, and if there's too much in the market, the demand drops, and people have a hard time moving it, or they make very little on it. Well, and that's the catch-22. If there's very little money to be realized now from it, and uh, it's labor-intensive to sort out the contaminants from the good stuff that you can probably repurpose, uh, do we have enough mills to do this, or is there too many mills? Uh, where do we stand as far as that's concerned, recycling plants? Mm -hmm. So um, China will still take material if it is pre-processed. So what happens is you have to have it cleaned here, it has to make that spec, and it has to go there. It has to be for paper. Um, they're looking at anything that goes there will have to be in pulp form. So dehydrated bales of pulp is what it's gonna come down to. So some of these mills that got shut down in China when the ban came on, they've bought some other stuff down in the southern states, some, some uh, delinquent mills, or bought some mills and they're revamping them in order to pre-process this material to send it to China because there's still a demand there.
Mm-hmm. Well, They're just cracking down on the garbage that's coming into the country. Well, how about us cracking down on things that maybe uh, are no longer permissible curbside? Are there things that uh, you've seen change in the recycling uh, spectrum? Uh, look, uh, for example, those uh, little single-use coffee cups, nobody seems to mm-hmm. want those anymore. No, no. And, and the problem with a lot of uh, those single-use coffee cups is they're very small, and most recycling in North America is machine-sorted. Um, so those will end up usually falling through the system to begin with, uh, right even before they get to the line. Uh, they're usually full of coffee. Um, so, and it, again, it becomes a contamination. Um, you know, it's, people need to, <clears throat> the onus is placed on people. If they're going to, if they want their stuff to be recycled, they have to make that decision. When they buy that single-use uh, coffee cup, let's say, and they don't take their mug with them to go fill it up at the local coffee shop, understanding that chances are that's going to end up in a landfill. Now, if you're really doing the right thing, you need to look at that because there's so different ways you can go to make better choices. It's seeing coffee cups, um, you know, pouches, uh, things like that. They really don't have a market for them, and things are only recyclable if people are willing to buy them. Are we getting to a point where you can see someday uh, there might be the garbage police or the recycling police, you know, coming by and checking under the lid to see if everything's kosher in there? If not, you get rid. Uh, they'll, they'll write up a ticket. I would love to see that. I would love to see that in every community. Um, some kind of a public shaming is always good for people to buy in. Um, you know, but if you're going to do that, you have to be persistent. And you have to have them out there every single time. Um, as soon as you lay off for a couple of weeks or, or lay off for a month, they'll always revert back to their old habits. And, you know, and the same with an education program. If you put out um, a big recycling blitz and you tell them, oh, these materials, here's a reminder. But if you lay off for a couple of months, chances are they're going to fall back into their old ways and they're going to forget. So always be in persistence. All right. Well, uh, you kind of surprised me with the answer there. I just wonder how much we want uh, Big Brother intruding into our lives when it comes to checking on our recyclables or garbage. Well, you know, if people want to do the right thing, mm. um, they have to pay attention to what they're doing and educate themselves on it. Um, too many times I see people or hear people call me and tell me that I should be doing something about the recycling industry. And I'm sorry, but I, I cannot tell China what to do. All right. Well, uh, that seems to be the linchpin in all of this because they no longer want our stuff. All right, Dale. It's just them. It's everybody. India, they're all starting to make restrictions. Malaysia, as I understand it as well. Yeah, Yeah. uh, even Vietnam. It's become uh, tougher and tougher, so we might have to dump our own refuse right here in our backyard. Uh, Maybe that'll get people's attention. Dale, good to talk to you. I appreciate your time from the prairies this afternoon. No problem. Thank you. You got it. Dale Schmidt again is a manager of Loras Recycle out there in Saskatchewan. Well, you know, the idea, by the way, that people would be uh, maybe checking through your refuse to make sure if you're compliant, that was one of the problems with the sidewalk labs, one of the concerns that was raised last week. You know, if they're going to rig this up with data collection, you may actually be on notice if you're not doing everything according to oil when it comes to recycling. Uh, There is that to consider. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.